Chapter 9 Home Sweet Home In a way, it was Princess Delicia who set in motion the whole plan for Tibbles. Naturally, she was very keen to show off her twins to her family far away on the island of Flimsy Garments. Not only was she delighted with her twins, now already four years old, but she was beginning to long to see her homeland and to meet all her old friends again. So, with Hossie in agreement, you'll just have to get used to that name, I'm afraid, she went to ask permission of King Humphrey to make a voyage back home as soon as possible. Having thought very carefully what she wanted to say, the princess spoke most persuasively to the top of the king's head as he bent over his usual crossword puzzle. When she had finished her requests, she waited. The king was muttering to himself. She bent closer to hear what he was saying. Um, domestic illness. Two words, twelve letters. Now, what can that be? Chickenpox? Scarlet fever? No, no, they don't fit. German measles? No. Athlete's foot? Bilious attack? Oh, drat it. None of them will do. Your Majesty, said Delicia, may I make a suggestion which might help? As I've just been explaining to you, I should very much like to make a visit to Flimsy Garments because, amongst other things, I'm suffering quite badly, if I'm honest, from home sickness. King Humphrey slowly raised his head and beamed at her. My dear girl, that's it, of course. Domestic illness, homesickness, perfect. And he triumphantly began scribbling again. Off you go. The change will do you good. Give my regards to your father. Oh, and please do bring back some of those delicious long yellow things you have there. Bananas, Your Majesty? asked the princess, as she made her way out of the royal apartment. Yes, that's it, my dear. Abnormals. Quite delicious. Goodbye. Bon voyage. Now, does the K come before the C, or the other way round? Home sickness. <laughs> Very good. Such a clever girl. The princess giggled. King Humphrey might be a little deaf, and he might be quite silly about his crosswords, but she had become very, very fond of her father-in-law. What has all this to do with Tibbles? Just wait, all will become clear. The only thing which now stood in the way of the proposed trip home for the princess was a pretty enormous problem. The ports, every one of them round the coasts of Woolly and Aware, were frozen solid. No vessels had been able to get in or out for months. Delicia had been so wrapped up in the excitement of her plans that she hadn't given this difficulty a moment's thought. Now she shed tears of disappointment as it seemed there would be no home visit after all. What now? Of course, you've guessed it. Tibbles to the rescue. Hossie... Oh, dear, spoke to Jinty, and Jinty spoke to Tibbles, and a plan was in place in no time. It's a win-win situation, Tibbles, laughed Jinty. 
Come down to the royal docks with me and warm up the sea as far out as the ice stretches. You can swim in the water once it's melted and work your way out from the quayside that way. Or you could fly and melt the ice from above. You must be quite rusty in the wings and it'll all help to trim you down a bit. You have got quite um, cuddly lately, haven't you? Tibbles was not very enthusiastic at first, but hated to disappoint Ginty and his very dear princess friend, so he finally agreed. And another thing, said Ginty, after a short pause while Tibbles heaved a few great, big, mournful sighs. I am going to ask the king to issue a royal command that a search be set up the world over for other dragons, so that we may find you a wi- wife. "'A friend or two. "'Once the ports are opened again with your help, "'ships can go searching all over the world, "'places you won't have been able to reach when you were looking.' "'The dragon perked up at this idea. "'Ginty rode Tibbles down to the main dock, "'where vessels were moored, "'their hulls locked in thick white ice. "'There was none of the usual busy, exciting activity "'going on along the quays.' No thronging sailors, passengers, merchants. All was deserted. You'd better get busy, Tibbs, old fella. Chapter 10 Oops It should have gone well. However, Tibbles rather lost the plot. He was excited to be undertaking a different task, and he was, I have to admit, a little swollen-headed about his golden award, although some long time had passed since that remarkable day. He rushed out along the jetty, which was just visible above the ice-packed waters. Look at me! I can do it! I'm a pop, so I can do anything! Out gushed a huge flaming breath, the sort he hadn't released for many a long day. Ginty, tearing along after him, slithering all over the place, watched in horror as the huge flame engulfed a solitary wooden ship stuck in the ice just beside the lighthouse at the jetty's end. Soon the hull and the masts of the vessel were blazing and crackling, and Tibbles, taking fright, flew up into the air and circled helplessly about, watching the troubled scene below. Sailors, fishermen and dockers ran out from the warehouses on the quay and began shoveling snow onto the flames as best they could, the only way they had without water of extinguishing a fire. Eventually, the fire itself melted the sea around the remains of the boat and the flames finally sizzled out and died. The harbour master, who had joined in the firefighting, was exhausted and angry. He shouted at Ginty, You tell your fiery friend I'll give him a pop myself if he does anything like that again. Lucky for you there was no one on board and that it's only an old dredger that's been destroyed. But his tactics won't work with all these other ships around, let me tell you. Ginty waved to the dragon who was still worriedly circling overhead. Tibbles flew close enough for Ginty to climb onto his back as usual. Let's get away for a while and figure out a plan. You've made a real mess of things, I'm afraid. The dragon made no reply, but flew off towards a nearby iceberg where he landed, allowing Ginty to slide off his back. Neither said anything for a while, 
but at last Jinty heard a few sniffles and a sob or two. I'm, I'm very sorry. What can I do to put things right? murmured Tibbles. Will I have to give my pop back, do you think? Jinty was deep in thought and didn't reply. Silence reigned as they both pondered. Thus, Jinty. Now why did the silly old duffer go rushing off like that without any clear plan? There could have been a terrible disaster. What is the matter with him these days? I know he feels a bit lonely, but really his life is pretty comfortable. Surely he's got everything a dragon could wish for. Well, almost. But he's such a dear old chap, and he's done very well to work so hard at everything asked of him. And he's made a huge success of reading. Heavens, he could be a teacher in the Woolian College with his command of the printed word. I really do want to help him. Maybe some ship or other, once we've got them back to sea, will bring news of other dragons. Even so, there's no knowing that other dragons would want to come to Woolian. But I truly don't want him to get too downhearted. We've got to work out how much puff he can safely use to melt the ice in the harbour. That is definitely the first thing to settle. Let's see now. Tibbles, why was I so hot-headed? Oh, poor joke, that. <sighs> I thought heating the harbour was going to be such fun, but I got it horribly wrong, and now the harbour master's furious with me, and I've let Jinty down very badly. If only there were another dragon around who might see things from my point of view. And yet I, I know I have a lot to be grateful for. I should try to pull myself together. First thing, I must apologise to Jinty. Now, just what shall I say? The two on the iceberg gazed out over the frozen wastes. It was a beautiful and calming sight. The pale sunlight, though never hot enough to melt the pack ice, nonetheless made the harbour look wonderful. The ice in ridges and swirls reflected all colours of the rainbow in sparkling glory. The sky was a brilliant blue in some places, and in others was filled with fluffy clouds, soft mounds of pink, mauve, grey, even yellow. The buildings far away on shore were etched black against the snowy mountains which rose ever higher, rank upon rank, further inland. Woolly and Ware looked truly magnificent today, and both Tibbles and Jinty felt a glow of pride and fondness stealing over them. Suddenly, as if to add more magic to the moment, there came from the shore drifting sweetly over the frozen sea, the sound of singing. The iceberg listeners could just make out that it was the Women of Woolian Choir rehearsing in one of the empty warehouses on the edge of the dock. Clear, confident, the melody soared up. It was the Woolian National Anthem. 
to thee, dear land of ice and snow, and to our noble king, we pledge our ever-faithful hearts, and in your praise we sing. Here all may dwell in harmony, and free from every care. How blessed are we who live our lives in woolly underwear. Jinty, his mood suddenly lifted by the singing, pulled himself together, looked around at Tibbles, and was astonished to notice that they were both sitting in a pool of warm water. He leapt to his feet, laughing and shouting, Well, that's the answer, Tibbles, old chap. Uh, what? queried the dragon. You've been humming, humming along to the music, don't you see? And the huffing of your humming has been exactly the correct amount of warmth to melt the ice around us. So you mean just humming my way over the sea will be enough to thaw it? Well, that's easy enough for sure. And I've learned ever so many songs from the kitchen maids and the stable lads. I hear them singing every day. Excellent. Let's get on with it, suggested Jinty. So they did. Swooping to and fro in regular curves, the magnificent dragon, now fully restored to his former busy self, humming every song he had ever heard, and then making up some tunes of his own, soon had the whole harbour melted. I am happy to report that not a single vessel was harmed, much to the harbour-master's relief, and Tibbles. All vessels now rocked gently at anchor. The sailors cheerfully went on with loading and unloading cargoes, preparing vessels to go to sea. Within a few weeks, though suffering slightly from a sore throat from so much humming, Tibbles had cleared every port round the coast and the oceans as far out as the ice stretched and his waist measurement had gone down by several metres. Well, dragons are rather large to start with, remember? As promised, a royal command was issued. Every ship leaving Woolian received these instructions. Search for dragons, or any hints of their whereabouts, by royal order of His Majesty King Humphrey. The prince and princess, with their fast-growing twins, were now able to embark on their trip to flimsy garments. Tibble stood gazing as their ship sailed away until he could see it no longer. Then he flew up into the air and watched it a little further, only turning back for home when the sun had set, dropped below the horizon, and both the evening light and the ship had vanished. Back in his dungeon, and supposed to be at his regular duties, Tibbles found he couldn't settle, not even to his reading. He found himself spending hours daydreaming. Would there be, some day soon, a dragon friend to keep him company? Fingers, well, claws crossed, eh? Chapter 11 S for Scary Things at the Moat Marina were all going swimmingly. Oops. 
the king who was rather missing his son and the family whilst they were off visiting flimsy garments, ordered a swimming gala to be held. This caused great excitement, and our dear old Tibbles was asked to be judge of the best-looking mermaid competition. Many young girls throughout the land had spent much time and trouble preparing for this, so his task was a hard one. Despite their all being very lovely, he considered that none of the mermaidens looked anything like as beautiful as his dear Princess Delicia. He made a choice in the end, but that night he dreamed of a shapely young lady dragon with a fish tail instead of a proper dragon tail. In his dream he saw himself awarding her the prize, placing a garland of snap dragon flowers about her neck, leaning forward to kiss her cheek. And then he woke up, to find himself alone and lonely, with his puckered-up lips pressed into a bundle of soggy wetsuits which had been dumped in his dungeon after the gala. The L in W found she had time on her hands. She had decided not to accompany the royal party on their boat trip, since she suffered horribly from mal de mer. Look it up in your French dictionary. So she took to visiting Tibbles and chatting to him. As he very evidently was not himself. Isn't that a strange phrase? I expect you understand it, though. She suggested they should take a stroll down to the docks to check the vessels coming into port. Any day now there may be news of other dragons. You ought to be the first to hear it, Mr. T., and so a ritual began. Every day, come rain, come shine, Tibbles lumbered down to the quayside, spoke with the sea captains of the newly arrived boats, and each day returned with a heavy heart. No, sir, none left, we be told, declared the bluff mariners. All done away with or just disappeared. That's the truth of it, sorry to say. After all... Dragons be much afeard in other lands, as well you do know. He had almost given up hope, when one day Ginty and Bettina crashed open the door of his dungeon and came racing down the steps. Tibble's head jerked up in wild delight. Were they bringing the longed-for news? No, they weren't. Sorry to disappoint and all that. Tibble's? You simply must come and see this amazing vessel that's just docked. You've never seen anything like it. Bet I have, snapped the dragon. Been going to the docks for weeks now. There isn't a boat I haven't seen. Can't be. Tibbles, interrupted Bettina, do come and see. This ship looks so different, so special. Why, there's even an armed guard on the dockside. For sure it must be very, very important. Before we go any further, I need to remind you of something. This tale I'm telling lies way back in the days when ships were powered either by oars or by sails. Vessels of all kinds came and went from Woolian de Ware, gloriously arrayed, with sails large and small, white as the snowy fields around, or sometimes russet brown as the earth which lay hidden below. Traceries of ropes hung from every mast and spar, intricate and in their own way beautiful. 
Then there were rowing boats of all sizes scudding about, with one rower or many more according to their size. On we go then. That's right, agreed Jinty, and this boat is made not of wood, but, wait for it, metal. Oh, don't be daft, snorted Tibbles. It would sink straight away, made of metal indeed. <laughs> You've lost your marbles, Jinty. He'd just learned that expression from a comic, the Woolian Weekly Whizzer. One of the stable lads bought the comic each week, and when he'd finished it cover to cover, he let Tibbles read it. You don't believe me? Well, come and see for yourself. And Jinty and Bettina began gently to nudge the dragon out of the dungeon doors. Soon they stood together on the dock's edge, gazing at the most fantastic vessel they had ever seen. They couldn't approach it as closely as they would have liked, because the whole quayside where the boat was moored was lined with sailors, smiling with cold politeness, but holding, clenched in a ready position, very stout-looking truncheons. And guess what? The ship was indeed made of some kind of metal, not a mast or sail to be seen. Solid grey sides rose up as if to reach the sky, with only the smallest of porthole windows here and there. A long flat deck as wide and long as a football pitch and a half stretched out, interrupted only by two tall columns like chimney stacks. Huge metal hawsers spewed out of the sides of the vessel, attaching it to bollards on the quay. There was a quietness about the vessel, none of the usual matey shouting between crew members, no burst of jolly hornpipe on a squeeze box or tin whistle to be heard. Staring open-mouthed at the sight, Bettina suddenly felt obliged to slip her hand into Jinty's, and he in turn felt obliged to put a hand out to the soft place between Tibbles's ears. Now why did they all feel just a bit uneasy? Not just uneasy in the case of the gazing dragon. Beneath his fingers, Jinty became aware that Tibbles was listening very alertly to... What? Jinty could hear nothing, but the dragon clearly could. The scales along his mighty back rattled and clicked and stood up, fierce and sharp. His little ears spread wide open. His claws, normally safely sheathed within his huge feet, slowly emerged and scraped against the stones of the dock. Bettina, too, became aware that something was amiss. Oh, Jinty, look at his eyes! Something's the matter, I'm sure of it. She was right to be alarmed. His normally docile and friendly eyes seemed to have lost all their colour and expression. The beast's mouth hung slightly open. He was drooling a little. It was horrid to behold. Nor did he seem to hear anything that was being said to him. As Jinty and his intended bride bent close, anxious to help their friend, whom they had feared had become suddenly very ill, all they heard was his hoarse whispering. Over and over again he said, Listen, listen to that. 
I know that sound. I, I know, I know that sound, but... Oh, I, I must remember. I, I, I must remember. I must re... Then suddenly, without any warning, Tibble spread his purple wings wide and scuffed some way along the quay before taking off into the heavens, heading inland to the mountains. Bettina watched him go very greatly alarmed, but Ginty's attention was caught by the sudden movements of the sailors beside the strange vessel. At the unexpected activity of the dragon's departure, Ginty noticed that all the sailors raised their truncheons as if to attack. Although they lowered them again as Tibbles disappeared into thin air, Ginty felt cold shivers down his back, and this despite the fact that he was wearing his extra-warm fleecy overcoat that day. Something was very, very odd. Poor Bettina was crying quietly. To comfort her, Ginty said, Let's go back to the castle and get warm again. Don't worry. I'm sure Tibbles will be back again before long. I guess he's gone off to have one of his quiet thinks. Come on now. Before they departed, they both listened very hard, trying to hear what the dragon had heard. No, nothing. Except perhaps a gentle puffing sound. He scoured the woolly and winter wonderland fruitlessly. Only then did he think, oh, of course, and cantered up and up to the place where he had first met his dragon chum. Sure enough, there was Tibbles huddled in the cave. But oh, what a changed Tibbles was he. Thin, still starey-eyed, still drooling a little, his hot breath barely tepid, a very sorry sight. Worse, Tibbles barely glanced at Ginty, and whilst the young man was urging him to return to the castle, his duty, and more importantly his friends, he simply kept repeating, I heard it, that sound, a long time ago. I was happy then, I know I was, but I cannot quite remember what it was, who it was. I must, though, I really must. Ginty lost patience. Look, old chap, we heard absolutely nothing, I tell you. Are you imagining this sound? Are you not well? Have you been overworking? Got dragon disease, perhaps? Do come back home with me. I must remember, repeated Tibbles. Then I can come back. Well, at least describe this sound, for goodness sake. Then perhaps I will know what it was. Ginty was becoming exasperated. After a pause, Tibbles said, A humming, a lovely, soothing humming. And I've heard it before, but where? Oh, where? And why does it make me feel so sad and glad? Sad and glad? Are you nuts? Oh, I give up. Ginty suddenly lost all patience, leapt onto Lepo's back, and galloped off home, completely fed up with his friend's ridiculous behaviour. You will note no pleas in this remark, or rather order. The king's secretary tugs at the royal sleeve. 
I would strongly advise your majesty that we leave at once. And King Humphrey, completely taken aback at being balked in his request, meekly obliges, gets back into the royal sleigh, and hastens grumpily back to the castle. End of scene. Beginning of drama. Once back at the castle, the king ordered his secretary to find out where the captain of the naughty ship might be. Back came the news that the captain was in fact in the Woolian Hospital, being treated for a mysterious ailment. Couldn't the ship's doctor treat him? blustered King Humphrey. It seems, sire, that the ship's doctor suffered a fatal accident some weeks ago, stammered the messenger. The SS Susie was therefore obliged to put into port here, so that the captain might receive treatment. Oh, said the king. Oh, well, send him a bunch of grapes or something from me. The king went back to his crossword. Poor messenger. He'd never even heard of grapes, and anyway none could possibly be found in frozen woolian. No problem. The king soon forgot all about his order as it happens. Yes, I know. You are wondering about Tibbles, aren't you? Well, before long, so was everyone else. Wondering about him, I mean. Tibbles did not return to the castle that day, nor for seven days to come. Ginty was puzzled, but had much on his mind. Wedding plans, you understand. So he failed to take action until a message arrived from the court chamberlain that the castle was becoming chilly again and could Ginty see to the central heating as a matter of urgency. You must go and look for him, darling, urged Bettina. Please do, for everyone's sake. He looked really poorly on the quayside that day. He might be ill or even... There Ginty stopped her. He suddenly had chills of fear all up and down his spine. Might his dear old chum have died somewhere all alone? It was a truly dreadful concept, and it was enough to send Ginty off immediately to search and search. Now you, I suspect, will have guessed at once where Tibbles had gone. In fairness, you have to remember that Ginty was in love, and therefore, as is often the case in this state of affairs, was not being very bright or on the ball. He and his faithful steed Lepo roamed through the forests where Tibbles had waited while arrangements for his arrival at the castle were being made. Nothing there. He scoured the winter wonderland fruitlessly. Only then did he think, Ah, oh, of course, and cantered up and up to the place where he had first met his dragon chum. Sure enough, there was Tibbles huddled in the cave. But oh, what a changed Tibbles was he! Thin, still starey-eyed, still drooling a little, his hot breath barely tepid, a very sorry sight. Worse, Tibbles barely glanced at Ginty, and whilst the young man was urging him to return to the castle, his duties, and more importantly his friends, he simply kept repeating, I heard it, that sound, a long time ago. I was happy then, I know I was, but I cannot quite remember what it was, who it was. I must, though, I really must. Ginty lost patience. 
Look, old chap, we heard absolutely nothing, I tell you. Are you imagining this sound? Are you not well? Have you been overworking? Got dragon disease, perhaps? Do come back home with me. I must remember, repeated Tibbles. Then I can come back. Well, at least describe this sound, for goodness sake. Then perhaps I will know what it was. Ginty was becoming exasperated. After a pause, Tibble said, A humming, a lovely, soothing humming. And I've heard it before, but where, oh, where? And why does it make me feel so sad and glad? Sad and glad? Are you nuts? Oh, I give up. Ginty suddenly lost all patience, leapt onto Lepo's back, and galloped off home, completely fed up with his friend's ridiculous behaviour. Chapter 13. Questions and Answers It took a long heart-to-heart -heart with Bettina to cool young Ginty down. Try to understand him, Ginty, dear. You are his very best friend. You ought to be able to help him. I'm sure you can if you really want to. No, Ginty wasn't even going to try, not again, after previous wasted efforts. At last it was the LNW who came to the rescue. In distress, Bettina went to talk to her, and the LNW suggested they should go and consult the dragon document, which Princess Delicia had compiled, remember, to see if it offered any explanation as to Tibbles's strange ailment. There were pages and pages of information to read through, but suddenly the L&W cried out triumphantly, I think I've got it, and she read out the following. A little-known fact is that when female dragons have given birth to young, they utter a calming and soothing song, which is known as mama murmuring, this sound enables the young dragons to recognise their mother and to feel secure. It has further been noted that male dragons cannot produce a similar sound, but only the female of the species. Despite extensive experiments, it has not proved possible for the human ear to detect these sounds. But what on earth can it mean? When Ginty was given this amazing piece of information, he decided that they must go back to the quayside and take another long look at the SS Susie. And this is exactly what they did. While they stood staring at the vessel, which was still under guard, all of a sudden, from the two chimney-like things on the deck, there gushed forth plumes of white smoke. There were bright flashes of flame here and there within it. Slowly, the three on the quayside turned to look at each other. Each was recalling the first time they had witnessed the smoke from Tibbles's huffing, gushing out of the castle's chimneys. What they saw here was too similar to mistake. They began to wonder whether the SS Susie was somehow being driven by dragon power. Remember, they were used only to sailing boats and rowing boats. Could it really be possible? The L in W, blessed with a very commanding and queenly deportment, 
stalked towards the sailor who stood closest to where the name of the vessel was painted on the hull. I would be greatly obliged, my good fellow, if you could explain to me what is the significance of the letters S.S. before the name of your ship. Ooh, how could anyone dare not to reply to that tone of voice, I ask you? Aye, aye, ma'am, responded the sailor, springing smartly to attention. S.S., ma'am, stands for Steam Ship, if you please. Why so, pray? The sailor squinted at the L in W from the corner of his eye. He was thinking, Is this dame daft or what? But he actually said quite politely, Because, ma'am, this ship is driven by steam, your ladyship. The L in W very calmly nodded her thanks and returned to the other two. They had heard all that was being said. So now let's remind ourselves. A. Tibbles had heard a sound which he seemed to recognise but couldn't quite place. It had made him dreamy and withdrawn. B. Research had shown that female dragons and only female dragons emit mama murmuring to soothe their young. C. The naughty ship, they had just found out, was powered by steam. Not sails, not oars, just steam. Remember? The hot stuff, the smoke and flame stuff, the very sort of hot breath which they all knew full well was produced by dragons. There. You have the facts. Work it out for yourselves. Pause. For thoughtful deductions. Hurrah! I knew you could do it. Yes, of course, it's obvious, isn't it? Somewhere in the huge metal box moored alongside the quay in the capital of Woolly and Aware was a dragon whose huffing provided the power to sail the ship. And since only females can mama murmur, the dragon in the metal box ship must be female. Bingo. The poor beast must have been Mama murmuring to comfort herself in her plight. The sound, half remembered from his childhood, had so disturbed and mystified poor Tibbles when he heard it that he had taken fright in utter confusion. And can you blame him? He'd been little more than a toddler dragon when, hoping to keep him safe from dragon disease, his mamma had sent him away up into the cold mountain tops. Oh, just the thought of that sad farewell brings tears to the eyes, doesn't it? Furthermore, and it doesn't take a genius to work this out, the fact that the ship was being guarded in the ferocious way it was suggested, you'll agree, that the dragon was almost certainly being kept against her will. In fact, she was a prisoner... Now what? As one, the three on the dockside said, a matter for the king, and away they sped to the castle. <laughs>